Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. So welcome. This is the Legacy Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Stan Miller. Joining me today is attorney, author, public speaker, uh, and legal lease founder, Lee Phillips. Lee, pleasure to have you join me. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stan. It's my pleasure to be with you. You know, from the conversations you and I've had, what I've seen on your website, this podcast interview could last for hours. I'm going to try my best to not let that happen because I'm sure you have other things you need to get done today too, but there's a lot of really interesting things here. You know that attorneys can't say hi in less than 15 minutes. I know. Yes. With exactly. Yep. So what I'd like to do is, is to have you just briefly tell me, give me like the brief summary of your background because- I say brief because if we went into any depth at all, we really would be here all day because there's so much there. But just briefly give me some context about your background and then and then and then I want to hear about um I want to hear about the health issue you had. Because I know I know there was a moment in your younger life when you you had a really significant health issue that became really uh, a significant like I was saying it's, it's you know, from what we've discussed, it sounds like something that that's been just permeated and really influenced all of your thinking since then. So tell our listeners a little bit about you. Well, I have what I call a sordid background. I have master's degree or bachelor's degree in uh, physics, chemistry or physics and geology, master's degree in analytical nuclear chemistry, and then the law degree. And I was supposed to be a patent attorney. I worked for three or four weeks in the big patent firm, and then I was diagnosed uh, one Sunday, my wife calls up one of the neighbors who's the cardiologist and says, Lee's having chest pains, could Leland look at him? And so they said, come on down. So I went down to the house and Leland, the cardiologist looked at me there in the home and on the way out down the big entry hall, I remember he made a real strange statement. He says, you know, Lee, anytime somebody's seriously ill, they can go in the hospital, they can recover their health they're extremely blessed. And I thought, yeah, Leland, I mean, you're the cardiologist. You deal with people who die all the time. And then he said, oh, by the way, Lee, I'd like you to check yourself in the hospital tomorrow. I'll have a bed ready for you. I want to run a test. So we live in an area of the city, they call it Pill Hill. There are 38 MDs on our block. And so I'm strapped onto the x-ray machine. My wife, Christy, she's up in the control room behind the glass panel with all radiologists, and three of them live on our block, our street, and they're good friends. They're in our church group and stuff. And I noticed they took Christy out, and then one of the radiologists, a really good friend, he came and he stood alongside the x-ray table, and he says, well, Lee, you're having chest pains. And I thought, well, good, then it's not all in my head, huh? He says, you've got a tumor. It's a little over eight inches in diameter. It's around your left kidney. It's crowded up against your heart. Your heart's having a hard time. And I said, Gary, can you take it out? And he said, no, no, Lee, we've, we've done a CT scan on your entire body now. You have very advanced cancer. Your cancer now involves all the organs in your body. I said, Gary, what does that mean? And my friend Gary stood there and he said, Lee, 
I expect you'll live another two to three weeks. And by the way, Stan, that ruins your day. And I spent the next uh, five months in an intensive care unit at the University of Utah Hospital, isolation room, and I became literally the national guinea pig for treatment of, of, of cancer. I was one of the first, if not the first patient, to be given multiple chemotherapies all at the same time. They had no clue how to dose it. They'll still give you multiple chemotherapies all at the same time, basically the same chemicals. And if you're really critical, they kill everything, including your bone marrow. They did that with me. They didn't know they were going to kill my bone marrow. And they gave it to me. The first set that they gave to me was at 10 times the dose they would give it to a critical patient today. And so it killed me, literally. They kept me alive, woke me up about six weeks later, gave me another dose that put me, they cut it in half, actually, that put me into another coma for another four, five, six weeks. They woke me up, they did it again, and so it was a, it was a major battle, Stan, but it did change my life because I was 27 years old. I had three little kids, and my wife stuck with me which is unusual, actually. Situation like that, the surviving spouse, the well spouse, they can't handle it. It's, it, it. She got to the point, very brilliant lady, but she got to the point where she had to be driven in a car. She, she couldn't even drive. It was that intense. And when we finally got through with the experience, I was unemployable. I weighed less than 80 pounds. Hey, I went to a job interview with one of the big patent firms in in Salt Lake City, and the guy and I have laughed about this ever since. I couldn't sit down because if I stood up, I didn't have sufficient blood pressure, I'd pass out. I was bald, I weighed 80 pounds, and I had this job interview. And uh, I actually did later become the, uh, the research director, associate research director for Brigham Young University, and I founded their technology transfer department. But uh, And so I employed this patent firm as part of the university, and we'd laugh at it every time we'd, we'd see each other. But Talk about the financial consequences to, to you, to your family. Uh, well, this, this health. we lost everything. We had done everything right. My wife and I had no debt other than the fact that we'd just bought a house. And if my parents hadn't stepped in and her parents hadn't stepped in, we would have been... I mean, my wife and three kids would have been homeless on, uh, in a car on the street. They gave us a thousand bucks a month. The mortgage was like seven sixty, and we lived on the other three hundred and fifty for a year, a year and a half. Finally, I I started to write wills and trusts. That's the easiest thing a lawyer can do. I couldn't get a job; nobody'd hire me because technically I still had a one-year life expectancy. I tricked them though, and so I couldn't get a job. And we lost everything. Uh, we actually had a little experience. I'd started a chemistry company before I got sick and gotten some government contracts. And the IRS came in and they said that we owed taxes for two years prior to the time that we started the business. And they said that we owed a lot of taxes, more than our entire gross income. And I moved, Christy moved to Salt Lake. We missed one of the 10-day notices that the IRS sent out in the mail, and Christy went to write a check, and the check bounced. And the bank said, oh, yeah, the IRS came in. They closed your accounts three days ago. They closed my personal account. 
They closed the business account. They closed everything. We lost our company because we couldn't pay our employees. We got sued over the government contracts because we couldn't fulfill the government contracts. Two years later, the IRS said, gee, I guess we made a mistake. They paid me back full interest. But we lost everything in this experience. And as a result, I became a security freak. You've run onto people who lived through the Depression and, and, and they hoard things almost because we might need them, we might use them. Well, I'm one of those guys now. Yeah, so this is interesting. But I want to look at this through the prism of how this impacted all the things that you've done since then and, and talk about that. Well, I started to research, I'm going to say asset protection. How do I make it so that when I'm sick, I don't lose everything again? And you say asset protection, everybody says lawsuit. No, 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 Stan, it's not the lawsuits. 56% of all bankruptcies in the United States are a result of somebody in the family getting sick. So I'm not way out in left field. How do I make it so that if you get sick, your wife gets sick, you don't lose your little company. You don't lose your real estate investments. And so I started to study this and started to work on this and have developed this over the last 45 years I've been doing this now. And there are ways that you can do that. The lawyers, unfortunately, the estate planning lawyers, which you're familiar with, Stan, they think estate, trust, wills, that sort of stuff. They very seldom integrate the business with the estate plan. And they give them the trust, the little business guy gets the trust and the wills and stuff, and they never, and they probably deed the house into the trust. But they never move the business into the trust. They never integrate these two things. And they don't worry about protecting the business from the personal disaster. So you need to take, or I've tried to take a more holistic look at what is the little business guy? What does he need? He needs the security of knowing his business is not going to be affected when somebody in the family gets sick or they hit a kid in the crosswalk on the way to church on Sunday or whatever the problem, personal problem is, that doesn't slop over and take care, take out the business. They set up the corporation uh, or the LLC to run the business. The problem is they're never taught how to really run the corporation, how to maintain the corporate shield. Nobody does that. Most small businesses, when they actually get sued, they lose because they didn't know how to do the formalities. They didn't know what to do in order to maintain the business and prove to the court, yeah, yeah, this is a real business. This isn't just my alter ego. And he's taken an interesting approach to this. I, I know, I know that you you do a lot of public speaking. I, I know that one of the groups that you connect with frequently are people are real estate investors, right? Right. And and it, you've written, you've created a lot of content. You've written books. You've created training programs. You know, a whole variety of things that you can talk about. But just generally, you know, in the you know, if we have a few minutes here, if I if I had real estate investors listening to this conversation, what you know, if if you were on the platform speaking to them, what's the advice that you that, that you generally share with 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 that audience? The new kid in town is called the Limited Liability Company, an LLC. And people, even a lot of lawyers, don't understand LLCs. The LLC was created in 1977 in Wyoming. It's basically a marriage of a partnership and a corporation. We get the corporate shield from the daddy corporation, the DNA there. But from the mommy partnership, we got a concept called charging orders. And 
that protects the assets of the business from what happens to the owners, the members of the LLC. And when you understand that, if I can isolate pieces of real estate in an LLC, then if I get in trouble, if somebody in the family gets sick, they can't, I even declare personal bankruptcy. They can't come and get the assets of the LLC. So if I can isolate the piece of real estate in an LLC, then it is protected from the personal problems that I have. And in the 2008-9-10 breakdown of the real estate market, a piece of property would go bad, they'd give it back to the bank, the bank would sell it, but there'd be a deficiency. So they'd come to the owner. Now you say, wait a minute, there's the corporate shield. They can't come to the owner. It's, it's held in the corporation. It's held in an LLC. There's this corporate shield. Well, yeah, they can come to the owner because you personally signed the mortgage. You guaranteed the mortgage. I'll guarantee that. So they'd come to the owner and then they'd go to the next piece of property and the next piece of property and the next piece of property. If those were isolated in one or two or multiple LLCs, then they would have been protected. They'd come to the owner for this bad piece of property. Yes, I guaranteed the mortgage, but they can't come and get this other asset, this other LLC asset. And it's a little more complicated than, than I'm making it because we now have issues where there are multiple member, L have to be multiple member LLCs in order to get the charge or protection. You really need to know the history. So I teach people a history and they understand, okay, I can understand, I can see why I need the charging order, why it works. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a real why freak. Why does this work? Why, why, why is this the way it is. So the gurus are running around telling the real estate investors, oh, you got to have a separate LLC for each one of your 40 pieces of property. You can't manage 40 LLCs. I'm sorry. And the lawyers, they'll give you as many LLCs as, as you'll pay them for, trust me. But you have to understand the concept, what it is, what it takes to manage it, to maintain it, because you can't maintain 40 of these things. So the advice I'd give the real estate guy is let's use some LLCs. To be honest with you, Stan, I've got 12 pieces of property. I've got three LLCs. Can't manage 12. Can't do it. So you, you got to understand what it is, and then you've got to act appropriately. And the gurus, yeah, if I had 40 LLCs, that'd be really nice, but you can't, you just can't do it. So from our conversations and from looking at your website, it seems like the asset protection theme has really been the primary focus of, of the work that, that you've done over the last few decades. It's been a driving force. And I'm going to say I've matured as I've gone along through this process. The lawsuit was the first one. And then it slopped over into, okay, there's stuff other than the lawsuit. There's the, the illness in the family. And in the last decade or two, I've come to realize that your biggest asset protection threat is the IRS. They're taking the third, 40%, 50% of everything you bring in the door. Isn't that an asset problem? So I've started to work with with the, the IRS issues. And in my office now, I have former special agent, special auditor, the IS, the former head of the Western Division, the I, I got all these, all these IRS people and we're doing some pretty good work with people. The, the little business guy, he can't turn the crank any faster. He's turning as fast as he can. He's trying to make it go. But if I can cut his taxes by 10 or 15%, that's huge. And people don't understand taxes. Have you ever seen the 
dollar double 20 times trick, Stan? Let's take a dollar and double it 20 times. $1, $2, $4, $8, 1632. See, you understand? Yeah, yeah. I end up with a million 48,000 and change. Over a million dollars, million 48,000, million bucks. But wait, 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 there's no tax on that. So let's tax it. Let's tax it at 40%. Between federal and state, a lot of guys, 40% is not outrageous. Right. So I have $1 and I double it to two, but I have to tax the extra buck, 40. Mm -hmm. So I don't end up with two. I end up with a buck 60. I took 40 cents off. I double a buck 60. That's 320, but I have to tax the extra buck 60. So I end up with 256. You got, you understand what we're doing? I, I got you. So where do we end up at the end of that? I thought you'd never ask. Over here, I've got a million, 48,000. Over here, I've lost 40% of that million. So I've lost 400,000, right? Probably, I'm sure, more than that because of the compounding effect. So uh, You're exactly right. And, and I'll run through a live audience. Okay, I've lost more than that. Do I have 400,000 over here? Do I, do I have I'm 400,000 going once? 400,000 going, coach, somebody give me 300. And you work it all the way down, Stan. You got a million, 48 over here. You've got twelve thousand and eighty-nine dollars. Million forty-eight, twelve thousand and eighty-nine. So if I can cut your taxes ten percent, that's not a hundred bucks on a thousand. That's millions of dollars over your lifetime. Yeah. And the little business guy, his success and failure is going to be based upon how he handles tax to a great degree. And your accountants never brought you in and put his arm around you and said, you know, your little business, your real estate investment, that's your tax shelter. And they've never said, we need to teach you how to use your little business as a tax shelter. And yet that's your tax shelter. Your real estate is your tax shelter. Donald Trump can't let people see his tax return. Even real estate investors, if they really understood how to use real estate as a tax shelter like Trump does, it blows your mind. It, it's it's mind-boggling. The eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. You, I think, see it, Stan. Taxes are compound interest in reverse. Mm -hmm. Right. And people don't understand that. So as I understand it, you're, you're, you're not so much in, uh, in, like in a private practice of- No, I don't do private practice. Right. But you're, but you're doing something though. And what you're doing is, is kind of interesting. Talk a little bit about how you're approaching this. Well, I, I prepare, I'm going to call them educational kits, but there's a kid that lets, your own, lets you do your own LLCs. The LLCs is to set up. You go to the state website and I walk you through the questions. Uh, then I walk you through the operating agreement and, and I explain each piece on an audio instruction that goes along with it, what each piece of the operating agreement is and why it's there and what you do with it. Because the operating agreement is your rule book. You have to understand it. When you get into court, the whole argument is, Your Honor, this guy didn't treat this like a real company. It's his alter ego. It's a scam. And the way you show the court that it isn't a scam is you go through your rule book and say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did everything the rules said I was supposed to do. And most of the small business people, a lot of them, I, I meet them in public presentations that I give. They come up and say, oh, I got an LLC. Okay, how's it taxed? They have no clue. Do you have an operating agreement? No. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, you have an LLC, but it isn't going to protect you. You're not getting the tax benefit out of it. So I do these kits, and the way I do it is, is I, I'm going to say I lecture. They're kind of entertaining lectures. They're not too bad. But I explain to you all the aspects of it. So we have a chapter in the LLC stuff on taxation. You actually have to 
choose your tax structure before you write your operating agreement because the operating agreement has to talk about the tax structure. Of course. Right. And so we go through these chapters. I teach how to set it up, how to do the operating, how to set it up, taxes. Then we do the operating agreement. Then we do the formalities. How do you take care of the formalities? And then we have an explanation, another hour or so that we talk about series LLCs. That's in a bunch of states. now, And we talk about this concept of charging order protection. And I give the history of it. When you understand how it came about in England, old England, then, oh, okay, yeah, I understand. I see what it is. Yep. So that that's what I'm doing, Stan. And, and I've I've tried to, I'm going to say, educate the real estate investor, the the small business guy, so that they can have these legal tools, the estate planning stuff. I explain trust. I, I go in and I explain trust for like three hours. What do you do with the trust? Why is it there? Who's a beneficiary? I, it has to be funded. All of this stuff. And I, I go through and teach you how to fund your, your bank account into it and your piece of real estate. And and your brokerage account and all of that stuff. And it's it's something that you have to ingrain in you. I, I talk about hats, Stan. Which hat do you wear? Are you wearing your LLC manager hat? Are you wearing your trustee hat of your living revocable trust? Are you wearing your married hat? What hat are you wearing? And right. you have to think, and then that governs what you do and what you don't do in, in this capacity. And people don't understand that they wear separate hats and they actually have different obligations when they're wearing these hats. So you've written books on this and I know you've created these products. I've, uh, I've looked at your website and I know they're, it's really well presented there. You, you know, the, the products are described and, and I would think that any listeners interested in learning more about these these tool these toolkits that you've created would find it at uh, on your website, which is legalese.com. That's L-E-G-A-L-L-E-E-S. All, all one word. There's only Legal one L in the middle. Only one L in the middle of it. L-E-G-A-L-E-E-S. Oh, see, I'm, I'm it, glad you called me out. It's so, kind of a pun on my name, and I used it for about yeah, right. ten years, and I thought, oh, that's kind of hokey. And yeah, I was so it's, it, but it actually make sure we get that right here. Okay. Yeah. So it's L E G A L E E S dot com. If you go to the website and look under products up on the, uh, the toolbar, we've got lots of them. There. You got lots of them there. Yeah. It's quite a, quite an impressive array. And also you, you, you do, you do a fair amount of public speaking, travel, travel a good bit, right? I've, I've got my six million air miles. Yeah, and you're and you're still doing it, right? You're still I'm still doing it, and I love love doing it. You said earlier you love what you do. I love what I do, and even though we're a couple of old golfers, we keep doing it. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it is. It is right. So you uh, dive with their boots on, right? So um, well, great. Listen, this has been uh, been quite fascinating, and uh, it's great to great to make the connection with you live and in person, and uh, it's great to learn about you know learn about you know the history that really drives. Know, that really influenced your later life and you know and, and these tools that you're creating and so uh, I want to say I, I, I appreciate the opportunity I appreciate the time today I appreciate the time that you you've given me and so let me let me just say this is uh, the legacy leaders podcast I'm your host Stan Miller with me today has been Lee Phillips attorney speaker author world traveler Lee pleasure having you here thank you so much for joining me it's great to be here thank you 
You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.